This is Matt. This is Dino. This is Martin. put out No Sleep Till Hammersmith, which was in 81, but he said it was deceptive because they never actually played Hammersmith on the album, yeah. even though that's where the tour ended. None of the recordings come from that show. Yeah. And I think that that was actually around the time when they were having the legal difficulties. Perhaps, yes. Because um, then there's also a Best of Motorhead album that comes out too, um, which was you, You'll Get Yours. And I, I believe that that was during the legal troubles uh, before Iron Fist came out. Yeah. Okay, so Ace of Spades. Uh, so now Motorhead has released two successful albums, Overkill and Bomber, and they have gained a highly loyal fan base uh, through touring and constant television appearances on the Top of Pops. The Top of Pops. Um, they're uh, loud... Thrash playing style appealed equally to punks and heavy metal fans. And, uh, sure. So I guess at the time, um, a writer of Jeff Barton coined the term of new wave of British heavy metal to classify a new slew of newer bands such as Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Saxon, and Motorhead. Again, but Lemmy never really feels. They're in the heavy metal. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a correct um, <clears throat> way to classify them either. I yeah, mean, those bands are by and large a lot more recent, right? Yeah, and and Lemmy thinks that Motorhead came before that. Yeah, era. yeah. Like, like new wave of British heavy metal was like Iron Maiden. Yeah. Like that's you know, and they were big because of that whole surge. Right. Where they like Motorhead didn't get that, didn't get the uh, support from that fan base too much right but the other thing is i what i guess doesn't help is that like metallica and megadeth both cite Ma- motorhead as influences and in their metal so i guess people are like oh yeah yeah, yeah you're, you're gonna be added to that because you're an influence yeah but yeah. i have a quote where um it was in uh the untold story of uh, motorhead uh let me says i like iron maiden saxon out of the new mob and that's about it, really. We were too late for the first metal movement and too early on the next one. Motorhead didn't really fit into any category, really. We're not straight heavy metal, but because we're a rock and roll band, which no one knows how to market anymore. So that's kind of during the time of where rock and roll was slowly dying, I'm guessing. I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So United Artists... I guess, is this when they're with United Artists again? No, I don't no. think so. Oh, no, no, no. That's when they decided to release On Parole because they're starting to get popular. Uh, yeah, because On Parole came four years after. And yeah. This is around four years after. Yeah, 79. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be four years after. Um, So, it was United Artists that they had the legal disputes with. It 
Possibly. I, I didn't get anything about legal disputes in I, my research. Yeah, I, I just got that United Artists decided to release it because Motorhead was doing well. So they're like, oh, yeah, like we'll get money from this. Yeah, so, the the reason why they had trouble starting, I think, was because of the legal battle with United Artists. Yeah. When oh, okay. Bronze. That's, yeah. that's part of why it was so difficult for them to get started is because they couldn't really do anything other than play live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, so... So everyone knows the song Ace of Spades. Yeah, that's usually, I mean, that's like the go-to. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the first songs you think of, I think, when you think of Motorhead. Um, at least one of the first ones I think of um, when I think of Motorhead. Yeah. And apparently Lemmy could probably go his whole lifetime without playing that song ever again. I'm sure it was great playing it in the beginning, but... I mean, you know, he's had drunken fans come up to him and just fucking start yelling Ace of Spades in his ear. And he's like, said fucking enough of it. But he would still play it. Yeah. Until his death. Because the fans want it. Um, but yeah, and another thing was, is I remember during the memorial service, Scott Ian, uh, when he first picked up a Motorhead record, which was Ace of Spades... And he was, he looked at the cover and he's like, who are these like badass Mexicans is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need to get this album. And, um, they filmed or they, they shot that. Well, first of all, uh, fast Eddie wanted to look like, or wanted to be like Clint Eastwood. So they had that whole like gunslinger thing, but it was, they, sh- they did the photo shoot just North of London. It's not in any desert. It's what did he call it? Uh, south of Mims, that's where it's shot. So, yeah, but it's funny because I always did think it was in a desert until I read the, uh, yeah. the biography. Yeah. yeah. So I guess Motorhead is going into the studio to record Ace of Spades with the now Vic. Am I saying it right? Maley? Male? Male? I'm not too sure how to say it. I don't know. M A I L E. Yeah. Something if you know like the that. pronunciation, feel free to write yeah. us at metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Yeah, because I'm just terrible at pronouncing names. I apologize. Um, so they're in Jackson Studios in uh, Rixmanworth between August and September of 1980. And I guess they cro- uh, Lemmy has crossed paths with Vic in the past with Hawk- Hawkwind. Um, Hawkin? Yeah, I said Hawkwind. I know you did. I just okay, I I'm like, you. shit, did I fuck up again? No, you didn't. Um, yeah, so, and, and Lemmy actually has a lot of good things to say about, about Vic. He just, he, he thinks he's a great producer and a brilliant kind of, brilliant mind, really. It's um, a beautiful mind. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, Vic was also nicknamed Turtle because he resembled a reptile, apparently. And uh, Vic was actually the reason why uh, Motorhead has a sleeker sound on record without sacrificing their raw power. Um, And the guy was actually really soft-spoken. He, uh, let's see, in the documentary, like when Vic was angry, he would, he'd be like, he'd be like this, you're not supposed to do it like that. Or stop that voice. And then Lemmy even says like, Vic was great. Um, he the first one to tell us we're all cunts and work harder. 
<laughs> he had a very dry persona. It's really the best. Like, like, is that really the best you got? <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, um, uh, the guy, the guy didn't drink or smoke, and he was very delicate uh, because he was diabetic, and he would have like, like times where he would have to eat crackers. Yeah, he would be. He would like be a dick. I think at one point is like, oh, he just has to eat. Yeah, and they 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 mm-hmm. didn't want to like get too upset at him when he was a dick because they're like oh we might kill him <laughs> like oh we're gonna push his blood sugar out of whack we might kill him so let's be nice to him which is pretty thoughtful yeah um and actually vic was the was the guy who actually Lemmy states that vic got me singing instead of shouting nice yeah hmm. so and taylor claimed that he got me to play more solid during the recording which is so Vic was like a um, he's like a magic man. Yeah. So that, again, that's why Lemmy had no real bad things to say about him. But yeah. Um the the song on that record, "We Are the Road Crew." Yep. Uh, there's a couple things about that. For one, Eddie was getting a lot of feedback during the solo and just laughing hysterically, <laughs> and it. So they just kept it. They just had feedback and boom, done. No solo needed. Um, and then uh, he had one of the guys from his road crew come up and listen to the song, like the I guess the rough tract or whatever. And he said that the the guy cried. Yeah, he cried. Yeah. So um, who who was the guy? I have his name I, somewhere in here. Oh, did you get his name? Because in the book, yeah. I think he purposely omits it. Yeah, uh, Ian Eagle Doobie heard the song and he had a tear in his eye. Yeah. Um, and then he said. As a rule, most bands don't treat their road crews nicely. Yeah. So Lemmy always tries to 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 give him some respect. Which probably comes from his time with um Jimi Hendrix, I would Yeah, guess. being in the road crew. Yeah. So and understanding how hard you have to work to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I have some interesting tidbits about the actual song Ace of Spades and uh Lemmy speaks about it. So he says, uh, I used to, I used gambling metaphors, obviously, right? Um, mostly cards and dice. When it came to that sort of thing, I'm more of the slot machine, actually. But you can't really sing about spinning fruit and the wheels coming down. <laughs> I know, right? Most of the songs, just poker, really. I know you got to see, uh, oh, wait, he says, I, I know you got to see me r- read them and weep, Dead Man's Hand Again, Aces and Eights. That was a Wild Bill's hit, Hick, Hitchcock. Hit, was Hitchcock. it? Is it yeah. Hitchcock? Hitchcock. Oh, Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I was, I was seeing Hitchcock, but yeah, that's not what it was. Um, that was his hand when that guy got shot. So that's yeah. interesting. Uh, to be honest, though, Ace of Spades is a good song. I'm sick of, to death of it now. Two decades on, when people think of Motorhead, they think, It's the Spades! We've become fossilized with after that record. Um, we've actually had quite a few releases since then, but fans want to hear it all the time. And there's actually uh, a length of time where he would sing Eight of Spades. And really? people n- did not know. The Eight of Spades? Yeah, the Eight of Spades. You know what that reminds me of? The complete sidebar is... Um... Oh God! What the fuck is his name? He's crazy. He's crazy Southern guitar player. He's like a Republican. 
This oh, one. Uh, uh, Ted Nugent. Thank you. Yeah. Ted Nugent. He. I remember. I'll never forget that show that they were on with like Ted Nugent and Sebastian Bach and like the bass player oh, from. Oh yeah, Fist. Yeah, yeah Fist. If I become one, and then he's like, uh, he was talking about. Like you don't need to actually learn the lyrics. You just go out there and you go, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you no one will ever know the difference. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a time when I was seeing some live things of Lemmy singing that I'm like, is he even saying words? Well, he may have just been too drunk to yeah. enunciate the words too. Well, it's just like obituary, right? Yeah. Jump loud. There's no real words. Yeah. They make them up each night. Um, let's see. Uh, so let me like work also work that oh yeah that was the uh that was this uh what do you call it we are the Roku song hold on i got something we else are here. the Roku. um songs such as love me like a reptile the chase is better than the catch and jailbait are blatant sex references no way yeah way so the feminists didn't quite like those songs i don't think they would <clears throat> i just say fuck them anyway was that supposed to be a, a double entendre there? Mm. Yeah, uh, on the classic album, uh, Clark has a as a quote as saying, uh, uh, commenting on those songs. He goes, uh, "We weren't trying to get a message across, apart from have a good time, you know, get pissed, get stoned, fuck a chick, that'll do." <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that um, I don't Lemmy Lem didn't like Iron Fist that much, right? Did, weren't you tell, telling me that Lemmy actually had like some negative opinions, like that some of the songs weren't really completely finished? Yeah. But I actually really like Iron Fist. No, Iron Fist is a good record. Yeah. I like Iron Fist more than I like Bomber. The Bomber. Yeah. The Bomber. Anyway. Uh, let's see. Um, I guess later that year, um, what is it? During Ace of Spades. Uh, who is the... Is it still Bronze? Yeah. Uh, they released um, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and that was recorded with members of Girls' School, and then No Sleep Till Hammersmith was their first live record, I think. Or did I get that yeah. wrong? No, that's correct. Okay, and so that peaked at number one, and Ace of Spades actually got gold, um, limited edition gold vinyl to celebrate gold vinyl their gold status so if you have one of those that's probably worth a lot of money now i bet it would bet it would be yeah um so yeah no sleep till hammersmith peaked at number one on the album um charts yeah and then um but ace of spades debuted at number one yes it did and they ended up um, doing their first tour in the U.S. Uh, with Ace of Spades. They were opening for Ozzy Osbourne on the Blizzard of Oz tour. And that was um, – that's something he talks about a little bit, but I think a lot of people probably know this as general knowledge, which is that Ozzy was like a fall-down fucking drunk at that point. Yeah, he no could way. barely keep his shit together. And like essentially he was uh, – in, in, in this book, Lemmy talks about like just – walking in and finding him completely passed out on the floor and shit like all the time Sharon was having to come and like pick him up and prop him up and get him on the stage, clean him up, try and keep him as clean cut as she could. But I mean, he was essentially like fucked up the whole time. Um, and he, let me actually really credit Sharon for getting that tour from start to finish. And also for Ozzy's career 
completely. But yeah. I think everyone almost agrees with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, you know, it was something that he mentioned, so I thought it was worth it. Yeah. In- yeah. Injecting there. But, well, but um, yeah, I mean, Lemmy was there on the, the, the ground. Yeah. He Gret- was, I like, mean, it's the first ground Ozzy zero. Album yeah. On his own and the first tour. Um, so <clears throat> it's really kind of a, I think this is, uh, this is pre lapping up piss and snorting ants, Ozzy. <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't know whether it's an improvement. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, this is at the time, obviously. So uh, on this tour, you had Tommy Aldridge and you had Rudy Sarzo. Um, they were kind of referred to as pretty nice fellas, uh, kind of quiet, which I think is uh, makes sense. I think Tommy has always kind of been considered a, a kind of a quiet, thoughtful musician type. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was more schooled than a lot of uh, other rock musicians were at the time, and I think he took his in- his instrument pretty seriously. Um What's interesting, uh, so his memory of Randy Rhodes was that he was terrible at asteroids. And uh, he said Lemmy uh, basically beat Randy Rhodes at asteroids like every single time they ever played together all throughout the entire tour. (laughs) Um, But uh, he also goes on to say, which I was kind of surprised about, um, he goes on to say that Randy wasn't like the guitar player that he came after, like became after he had passed away. Um, And... He basically was like, yeah, he wasn't really like an innovator. He was like a pretty good guitar player, but that's really where it ended. But because he died so tragically and so young, he sort of thought of in this way. Um, but he said that he, he was really sad when he had found out that he had passed away because um, they weren't extremely close, but he, he really enjoyed spending time with him and kicking his ass at asteroids. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's really telling of lemmy because yeah. a, a lot of people think of randy rhodes as some like legend god yeah and and here's lemmy just telling it like it is like he's not gonna bullshit his way through this he's just being that's, himself yeah that's the and i really appreciate that because otherwise i'm not sure if i would have ever heard that perspective of randy rhodes you know yeah i don't think i'd ever heard that perspective until i read that and mm-hmm. one thing i also liked about it was right after he says that let me says you know god only knows what people are going to say about me after i after i die they're probably going to you know make me out to be somebody much bigger than than i deserve to be you know yeah um which remains to be seen but you know i just think it's interesting that he has that perspective um you know even on himself he doesn't even really take himself 100% seriously you know as an innovator or, or whatever. But I think that's part of his, um, he's like a humble dude. Yeah. I really get the sense that Lemmy's a humble guy. Cause he really changed the game. Yeah. I think, I yeah, mean, I don't I think agree. he was the, I'm not going to say he was the best bass player, best vocalist because he wasn't, but his style is, was so unique and so different for the time that it did really change the whole thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They, they, uh, let me say, they had a few fans in the States, and one of them was Lars. Yeah. Ulrich. That's true. Who headed the, um, the American Motorhead fan club. Yeah. This was pre, uh, Metallica. Yeah. So he was just a diehard fan. I was gonna, I was, I already brought this up, but, uh, yeah, the new wave of British heavy metal. They didn't catch that wave, but, the fan club helped. Um, they, uh, Lemmy said that 
Motorhead had to stop becoming accessible as much as they were because of potential nuts and crazy people that they would run into. Um, and he says it's a shame because, you know, he, he likes, he, he liked to be on the floor with fans, know what's cool at the, at the time, what kids were listening to. Um, and he says, that, uh, some bands don't even, don't ever do that. They just stay walled off to their fans. But, um, I don't know. It seemed like he liked it and he kind of reading the autobiographies, he kind of misses that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he really, um, he actually kind of uses that section as a PSA to talk to bands that do keep themselves walled off. Yeah. And he was like, you guys really need to like be with your fans and get to know who they are. Um, you know, if for, if for nothing else, because they're your fans and you know, you should get to know who they, who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Who's listening. (laughs) You're not, you're not better than them. Yeah. You know? Um, I feel like that there, there was an element of that in there too. Like people think that they're better than the, than their fans are. They just sort of like put out a product. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but um, in the previous episode, but he actually, like you guys said, he loves his fans and there's times where he um, like, he lets them in there in the dressing room in the back. Like they get their own private dressing room, mm-hmm. like the true fan club fans. I've got, I've got a story i got to say when you're done with this. Um, and he would, uh, um, let's see, like a kid, they got a kid up from a, a the mu- they played the music when a kid was in a coma from a motorcycle crash. Um, and he just thinks that all that kind of stuff is makes writing music worthwhile. So writing music is his way of giving back to the fans. Yeah, it's like his way of connecting with people Yeah, is, is through music. Which, I mean, even as a young kid, like how, I mean, I guess it started off with trying to meet women, but I think it really became like the way that he started to try and connect with other people and express himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether I'm going to edit this out later or not, but there was, um, he has this really interesting story about how they were all in the uh, road cruise dressing room, which was adjacent to the, uh, the band's dressing room, but all the whole band was in this road cruise dressing room. And they got, um, you know, a groupie in there, but the groupie went after one of the road crew, but they wouldn't let the guy into the, into their own dressing room so he could be alone with this woman. Yeah. So he had to go in the broom closet and while she's blowing him, she went too deep and started fucking throwing up all over him. Oh. So he didn't get the finish. He ended up actually having to tend to this like young, probably drunk woman right. in the yeah. coat closet and like actually help her out, which is, which he should. But yeah. anyways, it was just like one of those stories that he told that stuck with me for, and you reminded me of it um, when you were talking. Um, okay, so in 1981, that was actually Motorhead's best year, uh, as, as Lemmy says it, but uh, it did end on a bad note. So, oh God, this is fucking terrible. I was thinking about yeah, this too. Yeah, so the, the one thing about this is, you know, like Ace of Spades was the highest, highest that Mo- Motorhead would ever be. Yeah. Yeah. And and let me does note that like, you know, the only place to go is down from there. Right. So but he's also grateful at at the time that they did, you know, descend essentially. Um but you know, it was like it was a hindsight twenty twenty, because he's writing this what, twenty years after 
you know, yeah. after all this went number one. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you say that, um, because he, he mentions like, he's glad that they didn't stay on top like that because it actually kept them all hungry and it helped them to write better music. Yeah. Um, I thought of Metallica immediately when I read that. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, there's, there you go right there. Yeah. Um, but do you want to, I, I guess we should say there's a trigger warning for this particular section. Like if you've ever been exposed to like murder or violence or trauma, it's potentially traumatic. Yeah. This, I mean, it, it takes, Lemmy has, it's like one paragraph that he starts like the, the, the descend of the band. And he says that even though they had a good year, that year ended on a bad note. And then he begins with this section, which is fucking horrendous. Yeah. Uh, so Lemmy had a, a gay roommate. His name is Andy Ellsmore. And he came home from touring. And someone came into his house, stabbed Andy 52 times, um, shoved a knife through his asshole, cut off his dick, shoved it up his ass, and... The news was portraying it, you know, trying to put Motorhead in that whole situation. Yeah, it's just what news does. But, you know, Lemmy said this is, it was just obviously a, a gay hate crime. Yeah. Yeah, but Lemmy was investigated as a possible suspect obviously. at first. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when they saw that he wasn't even in the country at the time, that was basically that for him. Yeah. But, yeah, he was really upset, um, obviously, by it. He only had nice things to say about this particular roommate and... <clears throat> And he was just so sad that it was a that it was a hate killing, and that somebody would do that just because of this guy's sexuality. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Heavy stuff. Yeah. And again, um, it's just like it's a paragraph, and then he goes, "Well, now back to the band." <laughs> and it's like, dude, this is fucking heavy. How I need can like you... two or three paragraphs to come down off of. That I know. You know, or a page or something. Maybe give me a little bit more. Um, eulogize the guy, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think that's kind of part of Lemmy's deal. I think he's been through so much that like it's hard for him to stick with something that's difficult like that. Yeah. It's kind of what I was getting from him. Like he'll tell you about something, but I think he doesn't want to. Like he's like, now you know that this happened, and now now I don't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah, it was interesting because when I was going through interviews, like video interviews, like he would actually say, "I'm done talking about drugs now." Like when we talk about why your hair is to interview about Motorhead. So it, it is interesting. Like he'll tell you, but then he's like, I'm done now. We're not talking about that anymore. Yeah. It seems to me like he really developed like a, a he was able to really set some limits like with what he wants to do. And yeah. Like, you know, because I think it was, it struck me as like, he seems like a really actually um, personable and thoughtful guy. And I think it was, I think talking about this, obviously, but even other parts of his life, I think it was probably pretty difficult for him. Yeah. Um, and I, it seems to me like he sticks very much to the facts when that kind of stuff comes up and then he, then he's done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It doesn't want to delve too like emotionally into it or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess their next studio album, Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Uh, they, <laughs> this, so this, I guess this next part's kind of funny to juxtapose the last bit. Um, so to, 
because they had the bomber set for so long, um, they had a, a stage guy that like made all this shit. So they did this iron fist thing <laughs> and there were uh, spotlights that came out of the fingers. And the idea was that they would start at the ceiling and descend down. <laughs> and so on the first gig, they descended about halfway, got caught on the curtain fucking Phil almost like just walks off into his doom. Yeah. Like um, fall all the way to his death. Yeah. And then I guess Eddie caught him or something. Um, and so they're just fucking standing there halfway up stage wondering <laughs> what to do. It was a very spinal tap. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of too. <laughs> what was great is he has a little quip in a book about how whoever wrote spinal tap, it was actually extremely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that movie is very accurate, like to how rock and roll living actually is. But he said that that wasn't even like, uh, it was either later that same show or another show really soon after it got stuck going up at the end of the show. <laughs> and he said that all the fans could see them like looking at each other and wondering what they should do and sort of like talking like, how do we get off of this thing now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so funny. they just stuck the fist and stayed or in storage. And that was never really used again. And then they, they just switched back to using the bomber again. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, it's so after that, I got that they like, again, Lemmy goes into the studio with a bunch of uh, all female bands like Speed Queen from France. Um, went to Canada to record an EP with Wendy O. Williams from Plasmatics. Um, and that's when many fans considered the the death of the original lineup of Motorhead. Yes, Motorhead. Um, yeah, so I I guess Eddie was producing everything. Yeah. And he didn't play guitar uh, on anything. And then, you know, he, he just wasn't feeling really into it. And so... Uh, Lemmy and Phil were headed back to the, the hotel. Phil talked to Eddie. Phil went back to Lemmy and said uh, Eddie left the band. But apparently, uh, Eddie used to leave the band every two months. This it was time just, they didn't invite him back. Yeah, they just didn't say, hey, Eddie, come back and play with us. So, Well, see, that's interesting because I have a, uh, a different thing. It was Where did I get it from? It was uh, the documentary uh, The Guts and Glory. Cool. Where um, Clark says that. Um, uh, hold on a second. Clark said that um, that Phil turned to him and said, "Listen, Eddie, why don't you do it?" And said, "Man, I don't want to do it. I'm playing on the record. I swear to God, I was reluctant as fuck." And Lemmy and the same one said, "I was pissed off because I let we let Eddie produce it." Um. And that was the time, uh, sir. It, it was obvious later that um, after it was re- released and Lemmy was sober, that he realized that the whole thing was garbage. But oh. there was three songs that weren't finished that Eddie didn't play on. I'm guessing. Oh. Yeah, so it's that's one of the cool things about watching multiple sources is you can get different perspectives on what yeah. happened. <clears throat> so it sounds like Eddie and Lemmy both had kind of a different take on what happened on that album. Right. No. Um, so basically because Eddie w- wasn't invited back and uh, potentially there were some like maybe Lemmy didn't even like what he had done uh, they ended up with uh, Brian Robertson from Thin Lizzy 
uh, and he joined Interesting them for, the, choice. for the tour after that. Yeah, and I guess uh, he just happened to be available at the time. And he was kind of thought of as like a pain in the ass by Lemmy from day one. Uh, he didn't want to have a contract that would span multiple albums. He wanted to go album by album contract with them so that yeah. he could leave at any time that he wanted to if something better came up. Um, he also continued he didn't really adjust his style to try and fit in with the rest of the band he continued to dress in like these really sort of odd clothing choices it was that, very shiny short yeah. like tight ballet shoes uh let me kind of freaked out when i think brian came off a airplane and showed up with like red hair um which was very opposite of what motorhead was was just yeah. you know, long hair yeah and so but yeah he 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 also said that he was the only guy that he had ever in a band that he had ever threatened with physical violence was Brian that he said to be fair that Brian was threatening him with physical violence also. Yeah. So the two of them were always sort of at, at, uh, at ends with one another. But it was interesting because, um, let me actually stop the hell's angel guy from beating him up Yeah. because he looked like a girl. He's like, you know, what are these, who, who are these homos on stage? And like, it's, that's, that's Megadeth. And he, the hell's angel guy did not like that. Megadeth. I mean, I'm sorry, motorhead. Oh God, dude. Um, I was gonna say um, it's a whole new story. Yeah, no, 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 no. The Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels guy was like, um, "But this is this is Motorhead," and he didn't like that, so he wanted to beat up the uh, Brian Robertson. Yeah. So, and I don't think that he. <clears throat> I think in a book he said something like that. Brian didn't even know how close he came to liking. I don't even think he told Brian. No. Um, he probably wanted him to feel a bit more safe than that. Um, yeah. So. Uh, together they recorded uh, the album Another Perfect Day, um, which sort of they continued their downward slide um, in terms of album sales on that. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, but Phil Phil was really happy that Brian joined because Phil was a huge Thin Lizzy fan. Yeah. Uh, and so, so one of the other issues that came up, though, with Brian and Phil joined with him on this was that Brian didn't want to play any of the older songs um, you know, the stuff that had come out in the early, early days or things that, that had come out before Brian was really with the band. Um, and Lemmy really wanted to play those songs. He thought that the fans deserved to hear those songs and he liked them himself. But uh, Phil uh, said he agreed with Brian and uh, they didn't end up doing them for the, for the time when Brian was in the band and they would tour, Yeah, uh, which is really unfortunate. Uh, so, yeah. So anyways, Another Perfect Day was recorded in 1983 and he said there's just a bit too much guitar on it and he thought some of the solos didn't need to be that long um so let me you're fucking up <laughs> oh you like that album no, no no i'm just saying solos in general oh i see what you're saying yeah um but he he thought it was okay it was a good album like as far as like being a change for the band that was getting them in a bit of a different direction uh so where am i here yeah, they said it was a mistake that they didn't experiment more like that early on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which would... I mean, but it, I feel like that wouldn't have gotten them Ace of Spades and number one. But then again, like, yeah, if if you just constrain yourself to, you know, like, bluesy, fast rock and roll stuff, you can kind of only go so far until fans think, like, what the fuck is this? You know? Right, yeah. But that's... So. Let me just wanted to make simple, loud music. Yeah, he, defi- he, he definitely did it. He did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say Motorhead's probably one of the most consistent bands. 
Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I, I'll I'll be honest. I'm not. A, I don't like. I, I'm not a huge fan of like uh, some of the stuff. Like, I don't think Motorizer is the strongest um, right. album. But they have so much consistently good material um, that you know the. I think the good far outweighs the bad. <clears throat> or yeah. this, I shouldn't say bad stuff. I don't. I don't. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Brian was fired, and it wasn't because of all the shitty ways he dressed up. Um, Pink tutus. It, it was. It was stuff like uh, not wanting to play the classic songs on stage. It was stuff like they would play the song "Another Perfect Day," and then Brian would start to play the song again right after they played it. Oh, and live? Then, yeah, live. And yes. then Lemmy goes up and like, hey, cunt, we just fucking played that. And then he's like, oh, okay. And then starts it a third time. Yeah, he became a huge drunk, didn't he? Um, wasn't that what it was? Wasn't he always a drunk, though? I, yeah, but I think that was what it was, is he started to get so fucking sloppy that he couldn't handle yeah. like normal shit. Well, plus, you know, like the way he dressed just made it seem like he he didn't want to be associated with Motorhead. Like yeah. he's like, I'm my own person. I'm not this band, and so he never felt like a team player. Um, so they fired him. He's definitely the odd man out. Cancel <laughs> canceled the tour, um, and yeah, that was the last time. Well, I'm not sure the last time they played with Brian, but that was the last of him being in the band like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after that, uh, Lemmy did an interview with a magazine, Melody Maker, and they kind of put an open invitation to guitarists saying, hey, we're not looking for uh, someone who's already established or already famous. We're looking for a new guy. Yeah. And so they got a flood of, of applications and they narrowed it down to two guitarists, Mick Wurzel Burston and Phil Campbell. Yeah, so they, they both auditioned. They both were nervous. They both handled it in different ways. I think Wurzel was like, had a list of songs that he wanted to play. Lemmy was like, dude, fuck that list. Let's let's have a shot of vodka. Calm down. He, he So Wurzel calmed down and, um, you know, busted it out. And it was good. I think Phil Campbell was like, looked visibly nervous but the way he played was like fucking crazy and erratic and like fit in with the motorhead style that it, it ended up working out um so lemon filthy kind of thought of how they would narrow it down um and they thought of having some like guitar uh you know battle of the guitarists yeah ba- yeah and when they did that um, and decided to have that and they scheduled that, Filthy quit the band. That morning. Yeah. The day the day of. Yeah. Um, and it was because, Lemmy thinks it's because Filthy wanted to be a more serious musician. Yeah. Right. And didn't consider metal. Well, no, no. So that's interesting because another reason why I heard why um, uh, Fast Eddie left was because Motorhead at the time was doing a lot of like covers with other bands and they're like, they're like sharing songs almost. They're like, Oh, I'll cover your song. You cover mine. Uh It was really, it was like really weird. And, um, fast said he didn't like it because he thought that was diluting the band in general. Like, like their, their quote unquote, their brand. Yeah. So, so he didn't like that. So it's interesting how they both left for kind of similar reasons. It's, you know, it's like, Hey, your music is not, Kind of what, what, what I'm I'm feeling right now. 
Yeah. And uh, I found in my old notes on um, the Live Fast, Die Old documentary that uh, Lemmy says that he met um, Phil Campbell when he was 12. And he what? spent more time with him than his own family. Oh, God. That's not in the book at all. No. Yeah. So. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for that addition. Yeah. <clears throat> that's awesome. Um, yeah, so Phil quits the band that morning. Lemmy heads on over there, and he's like, "What?" Well, basically, I think because the manager says, "Hey, you need to, you need to come with me. We need to talk to Phil." And he already kind of had the feeling because Phil was sort of acting like a little bit distant and stuff. Right. You know? So he goes over there, and uh, Phil tells him that he quit, and he goes, "Well, you sure as hell picked a great time to quit, Phil." <laughs> you know. Um, so he he goes back. Phil's not with him. The, both of the guitar players are there. And uh, it's just him and the manager. And he goes, uh, uh, Phil's not here yet. He's running late, but he's going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he goes, I, I, I'm just going to step out for a moment. He goes across the street. I think there's a bar. He like gets like a drink or two and sort of like calms himself down because he's nervous about like what's going to happen with these two guitar players now. Right. I'm, the, I'm the only member of Motorhead. Yeah. You know, and he goes back in. And he says, as he walks back in, he can hear the two guitar players talking together about how like, Hey, let's play together really well. And let's try to convince them to make it a four piece instead of choosing Just one like of us. The old days. Yeah. Let's have them choose both of us. And Lemmy said that while he was drinking by himself, he was kind of thinking along similar lines. So he goes, all right, guys, here's the deal. Phil quit the band this morning. He's not coming. I want both of you guys in the band and like, you know, we're, we'll get a new drummer. And they were like, okay, that really sucks about Phil. And they felt a little nervous, but they decided to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I will yeah, pass so, it off. So they got um, Phil Campbell, the new Phil. Yeah, there's so many Phils. <laughs> Philly C. Recommended uh, Pete Gill with Sa- of Saxon for drumming. Um, and... Yeah, so they toured Finland, uh, played great. They fucking had a great time, played as a foursome. Um, and But they did, uh, their label Bronze did have trouble with them because Eddie left, Phil left. They didn't like when Brian Robertson was in the band. They didn't like the new lineup. Um, so they wanted to do a compilation for the next album, which Lemmy said, uh, quote, it's always, re- that's Redding the death knell. Yeah. For the band is whenever they start doing compilations um so they they were gonna do that but they also released six songs and one of them's one of my favorites kill by death um but it was a problem because uh the players were since they were in different bands they didn't have uh authorization from the labels to release the song or put their names on the tracks bullshit so So it had to be just lemmy on some of the tracks that um, yeah that phil campbell was on right yeah and i think uh i think wurzel was allowed i don't think he was on a label so it was mainly campbell and uh pete gill who who had to uh, omit their names um so basically they spent a long uh a lot of time on the road touring instead of recording stuff uh so and this is kind of where 
I've ended things a little bit, but they they played Heavy Sound Festival in Belgium with Twisted Sister, Metallica, Merciful Fate, and Lita Ford. Very cool lineup. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Metallica were great fans of Motorhead. So very supportive and fun to play with. Um, I, I would always love to hear what Lemmy thought of King Diamond. Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure <laughs> I'm there's, sure there's, something, there's out something out there. Out there. Yeah. I would yeah. love to hear that, too. Um, they, uh, Motorhead played Australia and New Zealand for the first time. Um, I think Lemmy didn't really like New Zealand, or at least, sorry, the South Island of New Zealand. He said they played in Dunedin and it was, um, they like died, died a death that day or, and I don't know what that means, but, um, I guess they didn't have a good time in the South Island, but Wellington and Auckland were great. Then they went to Australia and it was said it was like some of it was like the old west of <laughs> of the Americas. Like you get these old towns, uh there's a drunk stooped over the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um they had some great fans. They had a guy that was like following them from town to town and like his car broke down between like one of the longest stretches of road. Um but he said it was worth it. So, yeah. Uh, they played in communist Hungary in front of 27,000 fans. Uh, he said nobody heard about it, though, because it was a communist country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he said it, it's crazy because since they're communist and they're not like um, they're they're so subdued that you get more reaction from the fans because of that. Right. So, you know, it was a very receptive crowd um, that greeted them in Hungary. Uh, they played the Americas, or I guess uh, North America, in 1984. And he says it's always great when you when you play with young guys. It really takes years off of you. Um, they did they did uh, shows in Finland, um, and the promoter fucked them over uh, with the ferry scheduling, so they had to take like speedboats, and they were late to shows. And I think eventually they brought the promoter on stage covered him in cheese they pulled his pants down. yeah they pulled his pants down covered him in like the the spray cheese and then threw him into the crowd yeah and then later like a cop showed up at their hotel room and um but i think they got off just fine um well yeah that was that what was funny about that is they were like two hours late to that particular show yeah and so they pulled him out on stage and said, Hey, this is the asshole whose fault it is Yeah, for us being two hours late before he got shoved into the crowd. Yeah. But they said um, like almost half the shows they were late to because of that guy. So that was like the, the last straw. Just like, we're fucking sick of this. Yeah. Well, there was more to it than that too. Like he was fucking up on enforcing the rider that they had with the sites that they were going to. So like they would show up and there would be they'd be so late that like all the ice for the beer would be melted and just be water. But there would be like a beer and like a couple like things of yogurt or something, yeah. you know? And all the shit that they requested, like I think that they like to have cheese backstage and a couple things like that to like get comfortable. A lot of the stuff wouldn't be there. Right. And they started blaming him for this. I don't actually know how much of it his fault it was, but he talks about what like nailing him with with like opening up the yogurts and and throwing the yogurts at him. Yeah, they called him <laughs> into the room and yeah. then they're like, "What's up?" Just throwing start the nailing him with fuck. He goes, "What the fuck is this?" And starts nailing him with the yogurts. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, which I mean, he's <laughs> kind of fucked up, but you know, I guess fuck that guy on some level. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I, I want to say one, it's a very quick thing, but about twisted sister. So twisted sister oh, yeah. played with them when they were like just really starting out and getting kind of popular and they were playing a show, I think put on by the hell's angels. Um, I believe it was one of the hell's angels shows and, um, they were all like dressed up in their fishnets with like, you know, women's makeup and their hair done all like big and stuff. And they were still very young. And he said, D. Snyder and the rest of the Twisted Sister guys were like totally anxious. They were too nervous to get on stage. Um, and I guess Lemmy happened to be around and, and he was like, Lemmy, can you please introduce us? Like, so that, you know, maybe it'll be a bit easier for us to integrate with the crowd and stuff. And Lemmy was like, fuck, I guess, you know. So he walks out, he gets in a mic, he goes, Hey, these guys are some friends of mine. Give them a fucking break. And then he just like, <laughs> that was the whole introduction. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, they're still alive, so I guess yeah, it went fairly well. I think they're okay. And he said they fucking tore the house down that night. Yeah, yeah, he said they did a great job. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just Hell's Angels, man. Get a bad rap. Dude, he was talking crazy stuff, uh, stories about the Hells Angels. He was saying that there was a gig that they were, that there's, so you know that, uh, I can't remember the exact date of this gig, but there's that famous gig that happened, I think, in SoCal that the Hells Angels put on. Like, yeah, they yeah. did the security for it and all that With stuff. With the stones, right? Yeah, and it actually was like, it turned know, out people, to be a people fucking got, nightmare. Yeah, people got really hurt at that show. Um, I think that was in the Bay. Was it here? I think so. Oh, I thought it was in LA for some I, reason. I can't remember right now. All right. Well, we'll, we'll maybe next episode we'll we'll figure that out. Research. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll come back with the answer. Um, but yeah, so uh, he was talking about how they didn't have a generator for that show, and one of the Hell's Angels guys was like, "Yeah, there's this place just a couple of miles down the road where they got generators. I could go, I could go lift one, and they wouldn't be none the wiser. They wouldn't miss it." And Lemmy goes, "I think they'll miss it." And then he goes, "Even though I said that, you know." Hour or two later, we have a generator. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> uh, but that's... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to add like, when when Lemmy and everyone was younger, you know, Motorhead was, was first starting, they didn't... They were stealing equipment because they couldn't afford it. What equipment did they steal? I, 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 I couldn't get what they stole, but let me confess, like, yeah, we, we stole, a, you know... He said borrowed, but obviously it was stolen because I don't think you give stuff like per, that permanent back. borrow. Yeah, like if you need something to go play or do your job, such as playing music, you're not gonna go. I'm just gonna borrow that and I'll return it and I'll ask to borrow it again. Yeah. No, it was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you uh, wanted to add? Did you mention how filthy animal uh, like broke his neck? Did oh no, that? we talked about that before we started recording. Before we get to that, that Hell's Angels concert yeah. for the Stones was in uh, Altamont in Berkeley. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Didn't even realize. Wow. So close. Yeah. Very close. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I guess when Filthy uh, broke his neck, and he always hurt himself. Yeah. That fucking guy was like Clumsy. a damage yeah. case. But not only that, he just he liked to pick. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he just <laughs> he just liked to pick fights. Like you said, they're all like brothers. Anyway, so they were playing a game, something about uh, who like who can lift an Irishman or something. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Irishman could lift him a lot higher. Yeah. Apparently. And so that <laughs> that's when he broke his neck is he dropped him and he fell on his neck. And usually, yes. usually when you hear that, like you're like, oh, you broke your neck, you're dead. So this, but no, this guy was part, just, part of the reason why was that they were on a staircase and the Irishman lifted filthy up. And then fell backwards. Ooh. So he Phil landed on his neck. Yeah, on his neck and a lot further than the Irishman did. Yeah. So. And what's what's interesting is he didn't lose consciousness. Like the band ran up to see if he was okay. And he was like, I can't fucking move, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, they actually thought that he was going to be paralyzed. Yeah. 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 He was really lucky. Yeah. They brought him to the hospital and they had to insert a catheter. Because he had to take a piss so bad, so he could still feel that, right? Yeah, yeah. Once they once they set his neck right. Yeah, I think every guy can probably feel that. Well, I mean, not if you're a a quadriplegic. Yeah, I guess it's true. Not gonna feel it. Yeah. Although you still have uh, functioning though, like depending, like you can still have uh, erectile functioning if you're a quadriplegic sometimes. But you can't feel it. What's the point, man? I mean. But you still have the desire, you know. Yeah, I so, guess so. You can still have some fun. Ghost fucking. I had an ex who did that once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Is that all the notes we got? That might be all the notes. I, that's all that I've got for this yeah, episode. That, yeah. It was so condensed in like just seven years. Yeah. It's a lot that happened. And I have to add that putting my stuff together <laughs> because it's from different sources like put it like finding like okay so that, oh, that was that year like lining it up was just almost impossible because some people even had dates wrong i i'm willing to bet because i think that people were partying so hard in that time that i think that there's probably a lot of mix-ups on exactly yeah. when stuff was going yeah. on and lemmy even admits that it, things are fuzzy yeah so yeah but hey, uh, if you guys had some interesting stuff to add yourself or you just want to drop us a line, you can reach us at metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Yeah, please let us know if there's anything we're missing. So send it to metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. We like comments. <laughs> yeah, you can also reach us at uh, Metallurgy Official, 1L in uh, Metallurgy. Uh, at facebook.com um there's also metallurgy cult kvlt on instagram which is managed by the one and only dino over here hi um and uh yeah so you can always find us there comment there um i post news and stuff on the uh, facebook page as often as i'm able to so you can kind of get caught up on the news there uh and join some discussion if you want to there's like a little fan discussion page off to the left on the main page so yeah. is it stage left or or uh no it's regular left. okay <laughs> if you're dyslexic then yes it's stage left <laughs> <laughs> but uh thank you guys so much for listening hopefully you enjoy this yeah thank you you're gonna think we're gonna go off and play music now yeah i think we're gonna jam we've got the equipment ready yeah let's do it yeah. so see you later bye Bye.